Grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of Jude. We've started a series a number of weeks ago entitled Postcards, looking at the one-chapter books in the Bible. And tonight we're going to be looking at the book of Jude. As much as we know and we have heard that in our society that heart disease is a killer among many, it's a very real physical problem, it's not just our physical hearts that are in danger. The Bible talks about the danger of our spiritual hearts being attacked as well. In fact, we talked about that this morning, about the inside stuff, the inner drawer in our heart and and what the enemy wants to do and causing us to cram things in there. You see, Proverbs 4.23, we touched on this verse this morning, says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart. The greatest threat to health in any Christian's life is not the result of attacks that come from outside of us. In fact, all throughout Christianity we see that when we are attacked from the outside, when persecution comes, Christianity throughout history has done very well when persecution comes. It has thrived when there's been persecution from the outside, but it's the attacks that come from within that often can be devastating to the believer. In the same way, a physical heart can die from a hardening of arteries. It's the spiritual heart's challenge that it can die from a hardening of an attitude. In the same way that a physical heart can die from the hardening of arteries, a spiritual heart can die from the hardening of our attitude. It most often affects those who are immersed in religious activity. They're involved in church. They've been around things of God. And they hear the truth over and over. They sing the words of the truth over and over. And yet, it never translates into a changed life for them. Consequently, they have no real defense for the attacks of sin that comes at them and the erosion of the cancer of compromise takes over in their life. So we need this periodic wake-up call from our spiritual apathy. God began to do that in our hearts this morning, and I want us to look at the message that the book of Jude has for us that goes hand-in-hand with what I believe God is talking to us about the Purity of our heart and keeping that pure before him. I want to welcome you to this postcard of Jude. It's a a little one chapter book in the Bible. It's two pages in my Bible, depending on how big the print is in your Bible. It may be a little bit different, but it's, it's very small. And it challenges us to fight for the faith. To fight for the faith. Let's look at the author of this book, Jude. Who is Jude. He identifies himself in verse 1 as the brother of James. James is the author of the New Testament book that bears his name, and he is the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, the half-brother of Jesus. And this being true, then we are safe to conclude that Jude also is a half-brother of Jesus. This could explain in part why he was so concerned about fighting for the faith. The Bible clearly teaches that the half-brothers of Jesus denied his divinity until after he was resurrected from the dead. And perhaps Jude is reflecting on his pre-conversion days before his heart was freed. He had a hardening of his attitude and maybe thinking back to 
before he embraced Jesus as his Lord and Savior. This little postcard was written to Christians of all ages, all generations, and it has an all-inclusive scope. I think it's a timely word for not only us here at Grace Point, but for sure for our culture on the message that Jude is giving to his audience. The theme of this postcard is found in verse 3. Look with me at Jude, verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. This is the theme of this book. This is the only book in the Bible that I know where the author sets out to write about one thing and ends up writing about another. It's... One thing that Jude had on his heart, but yet God impressed on him to emphasize something else. He begins with his desire to write about salvation, about the grace of God. And who wouldn't want to write about that? I mean, it's, it's a great theme to hear about God's great love for you and the great grace he has. And all those things are true. And they make for the makings of a bestseller. And yet, God led him to talk about something a little bit different. It wasn't just about his mercy or his forgiveness or his acceptance. Jude was compelled to bring a warning, a warning of the real-life attack that was coming at the body of Christ from within. That's why he admonishes us to contend for the faith. So he writes this apologetic, this defense of the Christian faith. See, faith that is built on a personal experience alone will crumble when that experience changes. It's not that we don't have our own personal experience with God, but if our faith is only built on what I see and what I feel and what I've experienced, when my experience is threatened one way or another, it's not a solid foundation in and of itself for my faith. So where is our foundation? What is holding up our faith? Your faith and your life are only as strong as the foundation upon which you build them on. You've got to know your faith before you can fight for it. And if the only foundation you build your faith on is these feel-good thoughts or these prosperity images of theology that you pick up from TV somewhere or pop theology that's written in some best-selling book somewhere, you will be sadly in trouble when trouble comes your way. Your faith will never stand against the flood of apostasy that permeates the church. The prevailing secular worldview that permeates our society has also begun to permeate the church and has begun to seep into our own life. And and this is what Jude is talking about. He's saying, hey, I want to talk to you about salvation. I want to talk to you about God's love, His grace, His forgiveness. But, But I see something happening. There's... Somebody creeping around that's leading you astray and and they're giving you some false teaching. In fact, we can even see it coming from within ourselves. Things that we begin to adopt and to accept in our own language, our own vocabulary, and our own thought patterns. And it's leading to destruction. So Jude wanted to write about this and that's what I believe God wants us to talk about tonight. You see, it, it may not be easy for us to hear But it's what I know God calls for us to hear. To fight for the faith. The idea of fighting here is wrapped up in the word contend in verse 3. The original phrase here to contend for the faith, it means to intensely agonize in behalf of the gospel. That's a vivid 
word picture. To intensely agonize on behalf of the gospel. To fight for your faith. This calls for action. This calls for us to connect with something that is going on here. It's the only time that I can find this word is used in the Bible. And it carries with it the idea of laying down your life for the faith. It implies that there is a battle going on. In reality, this battle is it's unseen, yet it's very real. It's a spiritual battle for the minds, for the hearts of those around you. It's a battle for your mind and for your heart as well. The word suggests that an aggressive, continuous engaging of the enemy is what takes place when we fight for the faith. I confess that the easiest thing for us to do is to sit back and have some kind of Monday morning quarterbacking where we just comment on the world that's lost and we could just say, well, they're just going to hell. But that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to engage and fight for the faith among ourselves and to win as many people to Him as possible. There is some kind of battle, some kind of war that is waging that we are called into. Hear me tonight. There is no room in Christianity for complacency. There's no place in the gospel that gives us a license to be lazy or a license to just sit back and to say, whatever will be, will be. Now, what is it that we are to contend for? What is it we are to fight for? Fighting for the faith. Well, what is that? Jude, I don't believe, is talking about saving faith. Neither is he talking about trusting faith. The faith he refers to is the body of Christian doctrine revealed in God's word. It's the sum total of a Christian worldview. It's a collection of understanding through God's word that's given to us of of how the world works and, and how we are to receive and to perceive the world around us. It's this idea that because of Jesus, everything changes. I was in a funeral of one of our Dear members, Pastor Rex was sharing this weekend on comments from their life. And as he sat with her on, I believe, Friday or Saturday and was talking about faith in Jesus Christ, she answered to him, Connie said, Jesus changes everything. It was a testimony to her faith in Christ. But this testimony is is not just for Connie. It's not just for one person. This is the reality that if we believe Jesus is who he said he is, if we believe that his word is true to us, it changes everything. Jesus changes our worldview. It changes how we see the world around us. That is the faith. It involves not just orthodoxy, right thinking, it's orthopraxy, it's right living, and it should change the things that we do and the change the things that we say. As we talked about this morning, this inside stuff in our junk drawer of our heart, what is in the heart comes out in our life. It's not to say that Jesus doesn't care about what we say or what we do or where we go or what we think about. It's that what we say, what we do, where we go, what we think about is a result of what is in our heart. And when Christ has first place in our heart, the things that we say and do should not just be some theory. It should be a practice. It should be what comes out. And Jude says, hey, hey, don't just give God the junk drawer of your heart, but make sure you fight 
for the faith, fight for the understanding, fight for the worldview that Jesus changes everything. Now this was important to Jude. We're still scratching the surface saying, God, okay, what do you have for me tonight? And, and what does this mean in the context of the world I find myself in? It's the thought that theory without practice is, is very sterile. James, the brother of Jude, put it this way, faith without works is dead. It's what the Apostle Paul meant when he admonishes, whatever you have learned from me, put it into practice. I call it keeping your focus on the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Understand who Jesus is in your life and allow Jesus to truly change everything for you. It disturbs me greatly when I see God's people settling for just learning about Christ. Yet their day-to-day living is governed by the world's system and values. I think there's few things that nauseates our Heavenly Father, like the believer who learns stuff in their head, but never allows it to seep into their heart and transform the way they live their day-to-day life. That's what Jesus said, we read this morning, about the Pharisees. Your lips honor me, but your heart is far from me. Jude wants to write about the salvation and the grace we have in Jesus, but he says, hey, 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 don't stop fighting for the faith. Remember that Jesus changes everything, and don't lose sight of how important that is. It's fundamental, it's basic, it's the building blocks, yet it can never be taken for granted. This is the first step towards apostasy, when God's people, believing the right thing, but no longer Allow it to make any difference in the way they live. God says, contend for the faith. Don't let it be taken for granted. Contend for the faith how? By letting it affect every action, every decision, every relationship you have. Jesus should affect every decision, every action, every relationship that you have. Notice that the faith... It said here, that was once for all entrusted. This worldview is not up for grabs. It's not in process. It's not still being worked out. There are absolute moral laws that God has set into motion. It's no less real than the physical laws of our universe that we see, like gravity. It is a very real set of laws that God has given to us. Is it dynamic? Yes. Is it life-changing? Yes. But is it open for compromise? Not at all. It's kind of like the news that came to you this morning, either in your newspaper or in your inbox. The news is once and for all delivered for today. I can't reprint it or change the headlines, neither can you. They've been delivered to our doorstep or delivered to our inbox. That's like God's written word. It's once and for all delivered to us. It's not up for change or compromise. Our part is to receive it, to read it, to digest it, to live it. That's not being narrow-minded. That's not being ignorant. That is the path to discovering God's purpose He has in our life. I challenge anybody to a serious study and application of the principles in this book. If you want to sink your teeth into something, take these few paragraphs and read them carefully and begin to seriously study and apply your life to them. It will bring about a serious change. 
It's time to stop trying to make God's Word fit into my life. And it's time that we start fitting our life into God's Word. He is saying, fight for the faith. This worldview that Jesus changes everything. He calls that fighting for faith. Now let's look at verse 4. What caused Jude to change his reason for writing this postcard? Verse 4 says this. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Another paraphrase puts it this way. I change my purpose because certain people have crept in secretly and undermine the truth that we hold dear. This phrase here, secretly slipped in, is this word picture of of someone slipping into a pool without making a ripple, without splashing. It's just this sneak attack that's taking place all across the church of Jesus Christ. It's happening all across our popular culture. It can happen to us if we're not careful. God says, guard your heart. Give me the junk drawer of your heart. Give me that secret inner drawer of your heart. But be careful. There's going to be attempts by those around you to slip things in there that's not of me. Jude says, I can't write to you about anything else until we deal with this. Fight for the faith. Fight for the understanding of who Jesus is. This happens slowly, subtly, without a splash, without any alarm. Jews says, I started to talk to you about salvation, but I have to tell you about the sneak attack that I see taking place. Be careful of these that want to lead you astray. They are winsome. They are intelligent. They are persuasive. They are well-educated. They have a following. They've written many books. But if you scrutinize what they are saying, it doesn't square with the faith. Our understanding of who Jesus is and what he has taught us through his word Watch out for them, Jude warns. A Gallup poll found that many clergy in the broader church, this is a broad scope of church in America, looking at how more liberal they are than even their constituency. Let me share with you some of the alarming statistics that were just a few years old that I believe are at least this level or maybe worse today. When they were asked, these clergy, do you believe in Christ's virgin birth? 56% said no. Do you believe that there is a literal heaven and hell? 71% of this clergy that was polled said no. Do you believe in a physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? 54% said no. Do you believe man is separated from God at birth by sin? 78% said they were not concerned. Do you believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ? 79% said no. It makes you wonder what they really believe. Now that you're shocked and maybe wondering how do these men or women get into places of leadership, Jude would say they slip in. But friends, hear me, Jude is not saying this is a problem just with clergy. This is a problem with the believers, the body of Christ as a whole. It's a reflection of what happens in our society when we begin to take a compartmentalized view that 
Jesus is okay in this area of my life, but these other areas of my life, I'm going to live it on my own. It's saving these junk drawers for what we want to stash in and what we want to deal with them. But Jude says, hey, hey, fight for the faith because Jesus changes everything, every nook and cranny of your life. You see, I think Satan has duped us into thinking If we ignore this problem, it will go away. James doesn't say, ignore the devil and he will flee from you. No, he says, resist the devil and he must flee. Passivity is no defense against apostasy. That's like taking a squirt gun into a battle when the enemy is using real bullets. It's like taking a band-aid approach to helping stop the bleeding of a ripped artery. It's a lost cause. Notice the tactics of apostasy in verse 4. Look at verse 4 again. We see here, they are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. They change God's grace into a license for immorality. The seeds of apostasy are sown whenever you take this unwarranted liberties with God's grace. Now, don't leave here today saying, well, Pastor Brady doesn't believe in God's grace. We believe in the grace of God. We believe that we are saved by faith and grace alone. You don't earn his salvation. It's not by how good you do or or how much you have changed to deserve God's love for you. None of us will deserve it. None of us will earn it. But when we cheapen the grace of God by lowering the bar and we say that God's grace is, is so great... In fact, I just love it. We, God and I have this great thing going. I love sinning. God loves forgiving. We're going to get along good. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do and just ask God to forgive me at the end. This is a lowering of the bar of holiness that God has called us to. And Jude says, hey, fight for the faith. There is some thought that is twisting, that is changing the very nature of God's grace. See, the grace that gives us wings to fly is the grace that limits flight in love. Grace that gives us wings to fly is the grace that limits flight in love. To presume on the grace of God is to deny the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what we found in verse 4. I want to get specific. These are the things that I hear in comments from time to time from people who get confused, and they say, well, I'll give God Sunday as long as I can have the rest of my week. I want God's movement in my life here, but not everywhere. I'm interested in the benefits of God for me and my family, but don't ask me to commit to anything. This church is fun to be around, but but don't start messing with my life. Hey, that's not Christianity. That's not being a follower of Jesus. That's something else. That leads to apostasy. That leads to changing the message to make it fit the way I want to live my life. We make no apologies about asking for a great commitment because Jesus is greatly committed to us. He has given his life for us and he expects us to give our life to him. He is worth fighting for. He is worth dying for. He's worth living for. If you're not interested in a 100% commitment to Christ, you may not hang out around Grace Point very long. Now, I'm preaching to the choir tonight. Our Sunday night crowd is often our core. 
But it's important for us to know that there will be some who are not interested in making much of a commitment to Christ. We will love them. We will welcome them. We will make room for them. But we will not apologize that Jesus asked for a great commitment to Him. A hundred percent. It's an all or nothing thing. And if someone is not interested in making a hundred percent commitment to Christ, if they desire to live for themselves, it will get very uncomfortable for them to, to stay in our gatherings. We want them to stay. We're going to welcome them. But at some point, they're going to have to decide who's in charge. Me? Or God. We begin to see that God asks for a great commitment. In verse 5 through 16, Jude continues on in his book and speaks of the doom and destruction of people who pervert God's grace and deny the deity of Christ and Christ's rightful authority. We won't have time this evening to walk through all these verses. We may tackle that next week together as we look at part two of this little postcard. But as we finish our time together tonight, I want to conclude by offering four quick guidelines for battle as we fight for the faith. Not just a saving faith, not the, the faith of, of us putting our hope in Christ, but it's the faith, this collection of our understanding of who Jesus is in our life and the difference he makes. How do we fight for that faith? First, know where you stand. You can't afford the luxury of being ignorant about where you stand in your faith. You need to know where you stand in regard to at least these four truths, if not a number of others. One, regarding the Bible. This book is the inspired and inerrant Word of God. Inspired meaning that God's Spirit through the Old Testament prophets and God's Spirit through the New Testament apostles has given us His Word. And inerrant, meaning without error in all things pertaining to salvation. It is our only book of authority containing all things necessary for us to understand who Jesus Christ is and how he changes everything. There is no error in the description of Christ. There is no error in the description of how he calls us to live. And we need to hang on and stand for the truth that Jesus gives us in his word. Know where you stand regarding The Trinity. The Bible proclaims that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are eternally co-existent and divine. The Trinity are not sub-gods, but three in one. Eternal, divine in nature. This is part of how Jesus changes everything and we need to fight for the truth in our life. Know where you stand regarding Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the God-man, undiminished deity and completely human all at once. He is not a lowercase g God, nor simply a son of God. He is the eternally begotten son, capital S, of capital G God, and one with the Father and the Spirit. Know where you stand regarding salvation. The Bible clearly and consistently teaches that we are saved from sin through Christ's sinless work on the cross. And it's the gift of salvation that's given to us or appropriated to us by faith. You see, the things that that Jude is telling them to fight for is not our preferences. This is important for someone tonight. 
This is not fight for the faith because some people are changing the style or format of church. This is not fight for the faith because some people are starting to dress a little bit differently. This is not fight for the faith because some people don't sing the temple that I like them to sing. This is not fight for the faith because some people, and you fill in the blank, it's fight for the faith when they start messing with who Jesus is and who our understanding of the one that changes everything. It is of great concern. One of my favorite phrases that I picked up from a mentor is you want to get to know a group of people a friend a family a church a community you ask yourself what is the God talk what do they say about Jesus not just about what they believe about Jesus but what do they say about who he is to them that's why my favorite question is what is Jesus teaching you I want to know I I have no idea. Well, that God talk tells a lot about where we're at. Now, some of us think on our feet better than others. And so if you respond, I don't know, that doesn't mean that you're not right with God. It just means how much of our verbiage, how much of our vocabulary talks about who Jesus is. And Jude is saying, hey, fight for the faith when these people mess with who Jesus Christ is, his sovereignty and his lordship on our life. They mess with his grace and then we begin to pervert it to get our life to to uh, be justified by changing God's standards, this is something we are to die for and fight for. Know what you stand for. Second, know where the enemy stands. Satan is the master of deception. Nowhere can his deceptive tactics be more readily seen than through the slippery slope of changing your opinion through popular culture. Friend, if you spend more time watching TV or going to the movies or surfing the internet or taking in the popular news sites than you do of praying and hearing from God and reading from His Word, you're going to fall prey to the enemy's subtle temptation. Wake up, sir. Wake up, ma'am. God wants you to have a pure heart And Satan will do everything he can to just add a little bit of false lies into the recipe of your life that will skew everything else. Jude says, they're slipping in. The attack comes from inside. It's not so much what comes from the outside. I remember when I was at Olivet Nazarene University, there was a boycott going on. And uh, there's the place for boycotts. That's fine, I guess. But it was a boycott of an establishment called Family Video because they had a room in their video store that, uh, I guess, had pornography. And uh, something didn't sit right with me on this boycott. And I'm not saying that all boycotts are wrong. But there was something that didn't square with me. and, And I remember I was talking to somebody who worked at Family Video. And when they said these words, it rang very, very true in my heart. This person was not a believer, and they said, you know, it's interesting that there's all this publicity of trying to get family video to shut down by all of that Nazarene University, but this manager said, if the professors and students would stop renting the pornography from our video store, maybe we would stop providing it. That's a wake-up call. 
It's not just this subtle attack that comes from outside, but it's the things that creep into the secret places of our life. It's the compromises that we make. It's when we begin to look and say, you know what? If I would live a life obedient to Christ, maybe I could have even a greater impact. Now, no, don't let me get you all bent out of shape. If there's a place for a boycott, that's fine. But let's boycott with our own holiness and obedience to Christ before we start signing petitions. Let's make sure that we're living our life in a way that is congruent with God's word before we start waving a banner. Oh, that's good. I don't know if we're receiving it yet. You know, we may want to wave a banner that we believe in, in the in the sanctity of life. As long as that person agrees with me. Well, I want to stand up for those who have no voice. I believe in the sanctity of life. We believe in the sanctity of life. But do we value the life of every person we lock eyes with? Are we desiring to reach those? Again, I'm preaching to the choir and I can anticipate your answer is, well, yes, we do. But when we begin to mix just a little bit of false truth in the truth that God gives us, it begins to mess with things. I remember when I was a student ministries pastor and, and I was talking about the area of sin. <laughs> I gave an illustration that was probably not very well advised, but I did it anyway. And, and I had the students there on Thursday night. We had Thursday night live and we were talking about sin and we uh, wanted to talk about how you cannot mix a little bit of sin with some obedience. A little bit of sin messes up all the obedience. And so uh, I had a batch of chocolate chip cookies that I prepared for the students and I passed them out to some of the guys and I said, now guys, don't eat these cookies yet. Well, students don't listen very often when they have cookies in their hands. And so as I was continuing to teach and talk a little bit, some of them started to eat the cookies. And I said, now there's something special about these chocolate chip cookies. I want you to know that in the recipe, it called for X number of cups of chocolate chips. And I put uh, mostly chocolate chips in these cookies. But with not having all the chocolate chips that I needed, I needed to find something to substitute the, the missing ingredients that I had. And so I didn't find anything in the kitchen that looked like chocolate chips, but I went to the backyard and, and I had a dog that was a beagle named Hunter in the backyard. And Hunter would leave these little bombs all over the yard that dogs do that's kind of gross. And if you look at it kind of just right, it looks like little chunks of chocolate left in the yard. But it was anything but chocolate. And this dog waste in the backyard, I began to tell the students that I went and I got some of this dog waste and, and I began to put just little bits and pieces in these chocolate chip cookies. Now, I didn't really do that, but I led them to believe that. You would not believe some of the guys' faces that were cramming the cookie in their mouth. As their face turned white and they began to panic, and then soon, not trust their youth pastor because he didn't tell them the truth, I said, well, it's not a lot of dog waste. It's just a little bit. It's mostly chocolate chips. It's just a little bit of dog waste. And they were like, I'm not eating this. It's the best way that, that I could describe how God feels about a little bit of sin. Just a little bit is too much. It's not, well, I'm mostly going to believe things right about Jesus, but just a little bit of changing His grace is okay. God says, I want you to have a purity of heart. This is what Jude is fighting for. Know where you stand. Know where the enemy stands. He's going to try to get you to mix in just a little bit of false teaching with the truth. Just a little bit of relaxing of the standard that God gives. Third, not only know where you stand, know where the enemy stands, but don't be afraid to take a stand. 
regardless of others or regardless of circumstances, don't be afraid to take a stand. The world has not very much respect for a church that looks and acts just like the world. But it takes notice of a people who are filled with joy and who are radically committed to a lifestyle of unselfish love. I read this the last couple months about a story from Germany with the Holocaust had been completed. Shortly after the days of the Holocaust of Nazi Germany, uh, upon visiting one of the horrible Nazi death camps, the following message was discovered, scratched on a wall. It said this, First, they came for the Jews, and I did nothing. Then they came for the Christians, and I did nothing. Then they came for me, and it was too late. It was Burke who wrote these words, All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Friend, the hour is late for our society, for our culture, for our country. But as long as we still have the freedom to proclaim the truth of God, as long as we still choose to fight for the faith of who Jesus Christ is in our life and how he changes everything, it's not too late. May God help us to contend for the faith that was delivered to us. You see... This goes hand in hand with God was teaching us this morning that we first need to take the inner drawer of our heart, the compartment of where we are, who we are when we're alone, and say, God, you purify my heart. Help me only store things in my heart that's of you. But then we are called to fight for our faith in Jesus Christ and understanding that Jesus changes everything. It doesn't mean that we don't have preferences about other things in church or in religion, or it doesn't mean that every denomination will agree on every single thing. But when you find another believer who believes in the Bible, who believes Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, there will be a common bond. There will be something that unites us together. But friend, when the world or when people mess with who Jesus is, with what His Word says, it threatens the very foundation of the faith that we hold on to. As we close tonight, I want to give you a challenge, as I have, I guess, the last couple of weeks. In our time together, we have just a little bit. You may feel like it was a lot of bit of time. I feel like it was a little bit. But this is not like the sermon in its entirety. This is just like the jump start to what I believe God wants to do in your study of His Word. So if you don't have a pattern of reading right now, take the book of Jude and read through it this week. And ask God to breathe on his word again to you. And he will do that. And and look for what Jude is talking about on how it's so easy for things to creep in and add and take away from who God is. It's my heart's prayer that we will heed the warning of Jude. And that we will allow God to purify our hearts together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll take this mass of words that's come out of my mouth tonight and you will knit together something of significance for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I thank you that your word never comes back empty. It is always full 
it always pregnant with life giving truth for us. Lord, I pray that you will help us to stand strong in the things that are important. God, help us not to waver or become complacent in these fundamentals, as basic as they are. They are foundational in our life and our faith in you. Lord, I pray that we will not allow the enemy to trick us into perverting your grace, to presume on it, and to treat disobedience or to treat sin as if it's something that is okay with you. God, I pray that you will continue to purify our hearts and the joy that you flood us with. I pray our obedient, joyful lives will give off an aroma that is attractive to a watching world that is hungry for healing that can come only from you. Thank you, Jesus, that you change everything in our life. Lord, as I believe Connie is with you today, and her declaration from this last week that Jesus changed everything for her, she knows firsthand more than what we can see now as she's standing with you, Jesus, face to face. I pray that we will be reminded on how you, Jesus, change our Sunday, our Monday, our Tuesday, every decision we make, every relationship we have, every person we encounter. You are more than enough, and you have changed all space and time and eternity for us. In your powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Church, thank you for your attention to God's word tonight. I challenge you, take time this week, dive in and let God breathe on it for you again and again. Last week, I challenged you to hug 17 people's necks before you left. I saw some of you, you only hugged five people. There's compounding interest on your lack of hugs. Find someone around you, love them in the name of the Lord before you take off. Uh, Spend time reflecting on the goodness that we see in each other that God has given. God bless you. You're dismissed.